great to see everyone in here tonight. Look at those gorgeous faces. I can actually see your faces, which uh, doesn't usually happen because our lights are so bright. And, uh, but it's wonderful to have you here with us tonight. If you have those cups from communion, you can pass those to the sides. If you don't want to hold on to them, the ushers can pick those up from you. And um, so welcome to King of Kings Community Jerusalem. You are here in Jerusalem, and we are... We've had a great time of worship together tonight, haven't we? This has been a great time. A special thank you, Pastor Matt. Thank you for leading us in the Lord's Supper and giving us an opportunity to engage with the Lord. And uh, we want to welcome all of our friends online as well. Some of you are joining us from Israel or from Jerusalem, part of our family. And uh, some of you are joining us from around the world, the nations of the world. And we want to welcome you and say it's great to have you here with us in Jerusalem. Here in Israel, it's uh, Tish B'Av. Uh, Tish B'Av is uh, the saddest day on the Jewish calendar as uh, Israel and the Jewish community worldwide uh, commemorate uh, with fasting and with a, a spirit of mourning the tragedies that have taken place down through time, all through history, to the Jewish people. And uh, so during this day, we are commemorating things like uh, the Israel being um, condemned to wander for 40 years in the desert, uh, that far back in their history, uh, both the temples being destroyed, the first and the second temple being destroyed, the Bar Kokhba revolt, Jews being expelled from England and from uh, Spain, as well as the deportation of the Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto during uh, the Second World War by the Nazis. All of these things um, are being uh, commemorated during this time, during this day, and the, the Jewish people will be fasting, will be fasting all of several last uh, three or four weeks, and then the big fast today. And it, for us as believers, it gives us an opportunity to um, recognize if you will, the, the evil that exists in the world, the evil that comes from the heart of man, and to be able to then recognize that that evil means that we need God. We need his salvation. We need redemption worldwide. And so this day gives us an opportunity to recognize those things and then to pray into those things. So as we begin our time together tonight, let's just pray. Would you join me? Let's pray into those things and ask God to oversee all of them. God, we thank you that uh, you have continued to protect Israel, and especially these days with bombs coming our direction from Gaza. God, we thank you that you have a good plan for us, for this land, for the Jewish people. And we're asking that you would continue to surround your people, not just here in Israel, but Jews worldwide where the enemy would want to seek to kill and to destroy your people, we ask God that you would be their protection, that you would watch over. And then we also pray, God, that you would bring worldwide redemption, salvation to the hearts of mankind, that you would remove the darkness from man's heart, that we would be able to turn back to you, that our eyes would be set again upon you as our God, as our creator, and that there would be worldwide salvation, men coming into relationship with you. We pray that now in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Well, 
we want you to also put another date on your calendar in August. You saw that just now in the video announcements. Friday, August 19th, we're going to be gathering together to celebrate the Shabbat. We're going to break out the grills. We're going to do it grill style, Brazilian grill style, and we want you to come and celebrate with us. Bring the meat of your choice. We'll have a lot of the other fixins, and we're just going to welcome the Shabbat in together and celebrate together as a community. So put that on your calendar. You don't want to miss this. It's going to be a fun time. And we've had a good time this summer, haven't we, going through this series, Living Wisdom, exploring and, and learning the wisdom that God has for us to live godly lives, to live practical godly lives, the wisdom that's there in the book of Proverbs. And uh, whether it's uh, looking at how we do our work, looking at how we use our mouths, how we uh, interact with our relationship with our parents. God's got wisdom here in this book, the book of Proverbs, that impacts every single part of our lives. And we said a couple weeks ago that tonight we wanted to explore one more of those areas, that area being uh, examining God's wisdom for how we live our sexual lives. And so now is a good time to turn to your neighbor and say, is it okay for him to talk like that in here? Can we say that in church? Well, the Proverbs actually have a lot to say. They have lots of good wisdom for this core part of our human experience. And so we wanted to alert you in case you didn't hear the announcements uh, a couple over the last couple of weeks that that's the direction that we're going to take tonight because we understand that this is a topic that maybe not everybody's going to be comfortable with and and but we want you to know that we're going to be sensitive uh, we're not going to be graphic in any way but we are going to be as direct as God is with us from his word because this is a topic that impacts all of our lives whether we're married or single it doesn't matter whether we're young or old, it doesn't matter because we've been created by God in his image as sexual beings. And whether we like that idea or not, being sexual beings, the reality impacts our lives in any case. And it impacts our lives in lots of different ways and on lots of different levels. Thankfully, God speaks into it. God gives us wisdom from his word in how to view that creation of being a sexual being and how do we steward it and, and what is it supposed to look like and how do we honor God with our lives in this area. There's a good chance, though, that you've never heard a message in a congregational setting about sex or sexuality. Or, or if you have, it was maybe at a different time of the week instead of on a Sunday or it was in a different part of the the church, instead of the main room, it was the back room in a brown paper bag. <laughs> Just smiling there. Unfortunately, this is a topic that doesn't get a lot of airtime in a believing setting because there's so many stigmas and taboos connected to it because, honestly, this is very personal. And if I'm very honest with you, I will tell you that there were several times this week that I said to myself, why did we decide to do this again? <laughs> whose idea was this? And looking, literally looking at, maybe we could change the topic tonight because it would be easier just to not say anything at all. But this is the reality that we need to understand. By not saying anything, 
we actually say something. And by not saying anything, we actually create greater problems and more issues and more things that have to be dealt with. And we, our, our silence creates a vacuum that the enemy can step into. And, and our silence has created a vacuum where our culture has come in to define for us what sex and sexuality is and, and how it's supposed to look and what, how we're supposed to handle it. And so tonight, what we want to try to do is to take a few steps in redeeming that territory, that vacuum that has been left silent for too long and speak some of God's wisdom into that. Tonight, we're going to be looking specifically at how our sexuality in the context of the marriage relationship is worked out. Because this is where Proverbs spends its time focusing on the fidelity of the marriage relationship. But, and I'm saying this and I will say it several times, it doesn't matter whether you're married or whether you're single. We have lots of single friends in the room tonight and, and online. It doesn't matter whether you're married or single. The truths that we're going to illuminate tonight impact all of our lives, married or single. It's gonna look a little bit different on the other side of marriage and a little bit more responsibility but it doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to you if you're single or if you're married, it doesn't apply to you because you're married. It's the same. So to be able to reclaim some of this territory, we're going to put together some uh, pieces, some biblical view of what God says about sex and our sexuality and about sex in marriage and, and what does his word give us as far as wisdom for this uh, area of our lives this dynamic area of our lives. And uh, we're going to try to step away from some of the images that we already have, some of the pictures that we've already created, some of the uh, theology maybe that we've already established that may be wrong, that's giving us an incorrect picture so that we can have a correct picture. So we're gonna have fun tonight. Brought our puzzles along. And uh, we want you to just sit back and have a good time. I'm going to pull this out of my way because it's crowding me. So I want us to begin with this idea. We want to look at our sexuality as if you have a 5,000-piece puzzle, jigsaw puzzle piece. Okay, these are actually only 500. Yes, we can count. It says 500, but uh, we're going to pretend like they're 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzles. And let's say you've been given this puzzle... Uh, of your sex and sexuality, and you're told this is a gift from God. All you have to do is just put it together. You're going to love it. And, and this is how most couples approach sex with this idea. How hard can it be? This is going to be great. We're already attracted to each other. We already love each other. There's, there's no issues. How hard can it be? Now, let's, let's say that that puzzle <clears throat> doesn't have a lid. So what you're given is just a bunch of pieces. You have 5,000 pieces now to put together and, and you don't actually know what the picture is. No problem. If there's enough enthusiasm, enough excitement, if you're a puzzler, you're going to just start putting those pieces together and slowly, painstakingly, you're going to be able to create that picture even if you don't know what the picture looks like. Now let's say this is going to be a greater problem. What if the picture on top of your puzzle... It's the wrong picture. 
Now, what if you're building a puzzle and you have the wrong picture and you are trying to create with these pieces that picture, but they're not working? Now, if you're married, let's add a little, another layer to that. If you're married, your spouse also has, you guys are working on this puzzle together, but your spouse has a different picture. So he or she has that picture and you have this picture and, and neither picture is correct. And you're trying to put that puzzle together and now we have some problems. Now we have some issues and, and the pieces aren't fitting and we're getting frustrated with each other. And, and to make it even more complicated, most couples don't talk about it. They're not expressing, hey, my picture, what does your picture look like? My picture looks like this. How come these pieces aren't fitting? Silence. Crickets. So we have to understand something as we go forward tonight. <clears throat> Our understanding, for most of us, our understanding of sex and sexuality isn't based on the picture that God originally put on that puzzle box. For most of us, the picture has been muddled and confused by our experiences, by things that we heard from home, by incomplete teaching from the church, from the body of Messiah, by wrong in, and incomplete teaching from the world and the culture around us. And we've put all of these pieces together and we've created a picture that is wrong and it's incomplete. It's no wonder that we're not able to put the pieces of the puzzle together. So much so that when we ask couples to explain what is the purpose of sex and marriage, what is the purpose of the sexual relationship, we get answers like, it's for our pleasure or it's for the unity of our marriage, or it's for my pleasure. It's for procreation. Come on, making babies, creating family. Or if they're a believer, they might say something like, it's a gift from God. God's given it to us to enjoy each other and to enjoy our, our, and have fun with our relationship. <clears throat> but if you ask most people to define more fully, what is the picture on the front of the box? that you're trying to build with this puzzle of sex and sexuality. What is that picture? Why has God made us sexual? And why is sex a part of the covenant of marriage? Most of us can't do it. Most of us don't know what that picture is, that original picture that God gave of this beautiful, complex, intricate puzzle of sex and sexuality. We don't have the words to put together to be able to describe that. So the question is, what is the picture? And that's what we're going to try to answer tonight. What is that picture that's on the front? When God originally gave you that puzzle of sex and sexuality, what was the picture on the front? What is it that he wants you to build? What is it that he's designed for us to, to build? The answer is going to be a little cliche in some ways, and the answer is going to surprise us in some ways. Because what that picture is, is a picture that describes God. It's a picture that reveals who God is. It's a picture that is specifically showing us God's covenant love. Yeshua's love for his bride. What? Wait, wait a second. I know some of you are sitting there. Wait a second. 
that doesn't have anything to do with my sex life. That doesn't have anything to do with my sexuality. It, it either, some of us are saying, it, it either sounds boring, like God and sex, boring, or it sounds a little cringy, like God and sex. <laughs> Don't put those two things together. If you're feeling either way, if you're feeling, oh, ah, well, God and sex, boring, or cringy, probably we have a wrong picture. Probably you have adopted something that isn't what God's picture is. So God gives us a picture in his word. Several different places. We're just going to pick one of those tonight. But God gives us a picture that he wants us to see. The picture that he wants us to know. The picture that we need to be able to build this puzzle of sex, sexuality in our relationship with our spouse. And this is what it sounds like out of Ephesians, husbands, love your wives just as Messiah also loved his bride, his community, his church, and he gave himself up for her. Yeshua did this so that he might present to himself his glorious bride, his glorious church, uh, his glorious community, not having stain or wrinkle or any such thing but in order that she might be holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, just as Yeshua also does for his bride, for his wife, his community. Paul says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined together with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh physically, emotionally, spiritually. Paul says this mystery is great. This is great mystery. So I'm not going to say tonight that we actually understand all of this. This, is, this mystery is great, but it, Paul says I'm talking about Messiah and his bride, his wife, his community, his church. See, the picture on the front of God's puzzle box of sex and sexuality is the Messiah's love for us, his bride, for you. Marriage and sex, then, are a physical metaphor of that spiritual reality of relationship, covenant relationship with God. It's meant to reflect a concept and a reality that, quite honestly, most of us don't really grasp. As soon as you start talking about covenant love, most of us go, yeah, 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 it's different than contract, and we just tune out. We don't know how to describe it. If we gave you lots of time, most of us can't put enough words together to describe what God's covenant love looks like, and how it works. This is our first key point tonight. Because we don't really grasp this concept, this idea, God has created sexuality and marriage as a physical metaphor that reveals to us the spiritual truth of how he loves us and what covenant looks like. So he gives us a, a physical example that we can see with our eyes and then begin to understand better piece by piece piece by piece of the puzzle. We won't understand it all at once. It's not designed 
to be understood all at once. You never open a puzzle and it's already all made. It takes time, energy, effort. And we begin to understand piece by piece the intricate, beautiful, complex puzzle of God's covenant love. As the, as the puzzle begins to come together, we begin to see and to understand that God doesn't love us because he's attracted to us or because he always wants to be near us. Though those things are true, he does want to be near us and he is attracted to us, but that's not his primary motivation. His primary motivation in this covenant love is because he's chosen to. This is what covenantal love looks like. And he's staked his character on the promise that he'll never leave us for another. He'll never forsake us when a better option comes along. That he's in it with us for the long haul. We hear his voice echoing the marriage vows as we read through scripture. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. In sickness and in health. For richer, for poor, I love you and I cherish you till death do us part. These are the things that we say to each other, promising ourselves, uh, promising our, promising ourselves to another for a lifelong covenant. Whereas God's promise, God's commitment to us is an eternal covenant of love. And this covenant that we have with each other and that we have with the Lord and the keeping of this covenant is what we find then at the heart of God's words for us in the book of Proverbs. So I want to say that one more time. This covenant that we have if we're married with our spouse and the covenant that we have with God and the, the keeping of those covenants is what is at the heart of the words that we find in the book of Proverbs, where God addresses for us the importance of keeping that marriage covenant with our spouse, revealing both the, the rewards and the benefits of keeping the covenant, at the, same, at the same time warning us of the consequences of being unfaithful in the covenant, of breaking the covenant, because Proverbs can be read both literally and figuratively, allegorically and directly, Proverbs then also speaks to all of us. Whether we're married or single, male or female, it doesn't matter. The, the Proverbs speaks to all of us who are in relationship with God, specifically looking at that covenantal relationship that we have with him and highlighting for us what God's covenant expectations are look like for us as his spouse, as his bride, warning us what infidelity and adultery look like in our relationship with him and how they happen if we don't have wisdom operating in our lives and how to avoid the wayward way, the wayward wife, and the seducing words, the temptations that leap up in each one of our hearts, leading us astray to others. So this is a perfect spot to insert a very important point 
as we go forward tonight. And we need to say this as clearly as possible. Proverbs is not saying that women are adulterous and men are not. That if it weren't for adulterous women, men would never commit adultery. Really? Think about that for a moment. That doesn't even make common sense. When it comes to adultery, studies have found that 50% of the time a man is involved. <laughs> Amazingly, 50% of the time a woman is involved. So if you have any concerns that Proverbs is being prejudiced towards women or towards men, we need to lay those things aside. Because, and this is our point tonight, what God is actually addressing for us in the book of Proverbs is what is in all of our hearts as human beings. And portraying for us by looking at the physical covenant of marriage that his instructions, his wisdom, his insight are the things that we want to grab a hold of, whether we're male or female, to be able to maintain the integrity and live a covenant relationship. Whether we're in relationship with our spouse or in our relationship with him as our bridegroom. Listen to these words, Proverbs 6. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. You can almost hear that little old Jewish man. Son, keep your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your neck, excuse me, on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life, keeping you from your neighbor's wife, from the seducing talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Great warning from Proverbs. Proverbs also shows us that when we reject wisdom, when we reject his instructions, his insights, there are consequences. And we are weak and vulnerable if we don't accept those instructions and wisdom from the Lord. And there's a greater potential and likelihood of both breaking our covenant with him and if we're married, breaking our covenant relationship with our spouse. Listen to these words, Proverbs 2. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman and her seductive words. Who has, le who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant that she made before God? Surely her house leads to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return to attain the paths of life. Can a man scoop fire? This is Proverbs 6. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he, Proverbs warns us, who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her, no one who touches her, no one who touches her will go unpunished. Great warnings for this covenant of marriage. 
when we look at Israel's covenant with God that began at the, the Mount, at Mount Sinai, at the beginning of their covenant in Exodus chapter 20, God begins the covenant by saying to his people, I am God, your God. You shall have no other gods, little g gods, before me. Don't bow down or worship them. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And from these words, God begins to paint a picture for us and put together picture uh, idea upon picture idea so that we can understand what covenant with him looks like. From the very beginning, we began to see this picture that covenant with God means intimacy with God, worshiping him and no other, putting him first and no others, honoring him first with our lives. It might sound familiar to you if you listen to those words, we get to hear the marriage covenant vows again. I dedicate myself wholly to you. Forsaking all others, I give myself to you. Our covenant with God and with our spouse, if we're married, is a sacred, holy place, a place of safety that God's designed to be a place where we can know and be known. In marriage, that knowing and being known is the intimacy of sex, being naked physically and emotionally and not being ashamed. And Proverbs wants, us, wants to, to reveal to us the wisdom then that is there for us to protect and to honor the covenant, to protect and to honor this sacred, set-apart part of our lives, this covenant as holy. So it makes sense to us that God becomes so angry with his people, Israel, as they begin worshiping with other gods. When they ignore his words, they ignore the words that they've made and forgetting their covenant, they begin to worship other gods. And God addresses them directly in several scriptures, but very vehemently, that's a great word, in Ezekiel 16 and Jeremiah 2, God uh, accuses his bride, Israel, of violating their marriage covenant, stating that his wife, the ones that he has married himself to, the people that he loves have broken their covenant, violated the intimacy of their relationship with him by worshiping other gods, by turning their backs on him and leaving him to go and to be intimate with others. Giving away their worship, which was supposed to be set aside for God, alone, the most intimate part of who they were, the most intimate part of their relationship with God, giving away their sacred, intimate, holy worship to other gods. God rightly labels their actions then as adultery, that they've been intimate with others, something that was supposed to be reserved and set apart for his relationship with them alone. 
And in this truth about worship, we get our second key point. We need to grab a hold of this tonight. This is a critical truth about our worship of God and about our covenant with God. As we worship God with our words, with our music, with our lives, with our work, as we worship God, our worship of God is an intimate reconfirmation of and a celebration of his covenant with us. We don't just worship him because that's what you do on Sunday nights. All of our lives are meant to worship him. And our worship of God is an intimate reconfirmation of his and celebration of his covenant with us. That's why we worship God, remembering his covenant and celebrating his love for us. This is God's desire for our relationship with him, faithful, intimate covenant. That's God's desire. This is the place of intimate knowing, knowing him deeply. The Hebrew word there is yada, to know him deeply. And Adam knew his wife yada. He knew his wife Eve, intimate knowing. Just as he knows us intimately and deeply, we save ourselves for him alone. No other gods, no other things before him. That's what covenant with God looks like. And so God designed the physical covenant of marriage, including sex in marriage, as a reflection of this powerful truth. So that we could see in a very physical way the intricate, beautiful, complex design of the puzzle of God's covenant love. And the truth that is reflected in the marriage covenant as the sexual relationship echoes our worship of God himself. For the married couple, sex is meant to be a sacred, set-apart moment of worship. What? Let's say that again. For the married couple, sex is meant to be a sacred, set-apart moment of worship. A place of reconfirming their covenant and their love for one another. A moment set aside away from others, away from the busyness of life, to celebrate their commitment to each other. A celebration of the covenant and of their love. The intimacy of marriage, especially the sexual relationship designed by God, is not just for our pleasure. It's not just for procreation. It's not just to keep us together. God has a bigger picture that's on the front of that puzzle box that he wants us to see as we begin to build our sexual lives as a couple together. In his intimate covenant of love for each one of us, he provides with us information, excuse me, he provides for us wisdom from Proverbs in how to maintain, how to protect, how to guard, how to keep alive that sacred covenant, whether it's in our relationship with him or in the covenant of marriage, if we're married. 
So there's a couple of things that we need to take away from this time together tonight. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Here's a couple of thoughts and applications. And I think that probably there are some ideas here that are new to us. Maybe you've never heard some of these things before. Maybe that whole idea, and this is our first thought tonight, that whole idea of God and and sex coming together, it it either feels boring to you, like, "Mm, I'm not going there, I'm not inviting God into my sex life. How boring is that? Or it feels a little cringy, like, holy cow, God is holy, not inviting him into my sex life. If those feelings are predominant in our hearts tonight, this is an invitation to us. It's a a recognition then that we have the wrong picture. And then an invitation from God to find the right picture, to begin to explore his design and, and, and to discover what God's picture for sex and sexuality is and to discover faithful intimacy in this thing that he's given us called covenant. The second thought is this, and this is where we'll land tonight, that God has created and designed a beautiful, intricate, sophisticated, very elaborate puzzle. I don't know about you, but puzzles are fun. And, and God has created us with that curiosity to figure out, how can I solve this puzzle? So God's best puzzle is this puzzle, covenant love and our sexuality within marriage. And God has created it in such a way that it's extensive and it's complex. And to be quite honest, it's very mysterious. But he's created it in such a way that it's a treasure of intimacy that he offers to us himself, deep personal relationship with him, and if we're married, deep personal intimate relationship with our spouse. But it's a puzzle. And we're not going to understand it as soon as we open the box. So many stories of couples on their wedding day unwrapping the present and realizing it's a puzzle. Oh my goodness. And he has a different picture than I have. She has a different picture than I have. These pieces aren't fitting together. How do we put them together? And God invites us in this drama to discover the treasure that he has there for us. But the treasure is going to require that we take our time and our energy and our efforts to examine the pieces of this thing that we keep referring to as a puzzle so that we can discover his covenant love and we can discover that sex and sexuality and in that the marriage covenant reflects our relationship with him. A treasure that he wants to provoke us with so that we will go on a hunt for it, that we'll work for it, we'll sacrifice, 
will make room in our lives, will prioritize to let go of other things so that we can find that treasure. And that's our challenge tonight. Because culturally, we want to just, we, we want instant gratification. We don't like all the time that idea that I'm going to have to take my energy to put this puzzle together. Uh, it requires my time. I'm too busy. And whether we're, we're talking about our covenant with God or our covenant of marriage, if we're married, both require our energy, our time, a hunger to solve the puzzle, to put the pieces together in such a way that they honor God, that that picture of our relationship with him, that picture of our relationship with our spouse, as the world is looking at it, can go, I see God. That's beautiful. I didn't know that's what God looked like. you stand with me? I just want to pray for us. Our worship team is going to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is rich. And God, I thank all that you have created such an intricate, beautiful puzzle for our lives that speaks highly of your value of us. You gave us your best. You continue to give us your best. God, we want to grab a hold of it, even though there might be some things here tonight that we don't fully understand, that we don't, it's a new idea that we, we're not sure what to do with it. God, we, we're laying it on the table before you and we're asking that you would begin to reveal to us, to our hearts, your picture of covenant love, your picture of sex within the covenant marriage relationship. Father, we need your help. Uh, there's so many other pictures that are competing, so many other narratives that are going on around us. And God, we lay those aside. We ask that you would help us to focus on you, what your word says, the truths that you have for this area of our lives. God, I ask for your blessing on everyone that's in this room tonight, everyone that's joining us online. I want to pray first for our single friends, Lord, that you would illuminate the covenant of love that you have set aside for them. Give them an ability, God, to come into relationship with you like they've never experienced before. God, I pray for our married friends tonight and that you would give us a tenacity to dive into this complex puzzle, to begin to sort it out in a way and live it in a way that it honors you, that it projects the picture of who you are, that we would reject and let go of the narrative of the world around us so that we can honor you. We pray that in Yeshua's name. Amen. Let's continue to worship.